You are listening to the Just Chill Parenting Podcast. I am your host, Rosie Davidson, an infant sleep consultant, author and mum of three. This is a show all about honest chat where I talk about my favourite topic, sleep, of course, but I will also be covering your burning parenting questions and speak to some very special guests along the way. So buckle up and enjoy. Hello and welcome to the Just Chill Parenting Podcast. In this episode, I'm going to talk all about making changes to your little one's sleep, your mindset around that and how you can approach change with a positive outlook. So essentially, this is kind of like a personal coaching call where it's just me speaking. (laughs) I really hope that it's going to help you and provide some reassurance, support and actionable advice going forward. Later in the episode, I'm also going to talk about the full moon and whether it's a myth that it affects sleep or not, as I'm asked this honestly really regularly. So let's first of all talk about the benefits of working on your little one's sleep. I think that most people I speak to are already sold on the benefits of sleep. We know that it helps with immune system, with appetite, with mood, with growth, with bodily repair. I mean, the list really goes on. And actually, I would go as far to say that sleep is the number one pillar of health. Like nothing else works as well as it could be if we're not sleeping well. We know that if you're trying to get fit, it's going to have an impact on muscle repair. It's going to have an impact on your child's learning, on development, on our immune system, on our mood. Honestly, most people will be able to relate to this. I am so moody when I've not slept well. I just wake up like a bear with a sore head. And actually, there's a reason why people talk about people waking up like a bear with a sore head, because that's when people haven't slept well and they just feel moody and you have a short temper. You don't feel as enthusiastic about things. And in actual fact, it can really affect our mental health. So mental health and sleep are intrinsically linked. And we do have some mental health conditions which can cause sleep issues and sleep issues that can exacerbate mental health issues. I know myself, speaking from my own experience, which feels fairly recent, my son, my youngest son is two and a half now. And I really remember quite vividly when he was a newborn, feeling quite anxious and having some, not loads, but some intrusive thoughts, which are also quite normal for lots of people. But it's when they become really impactful on your life that it's worth talking about them and we should talk about it more and by intrusive thoughts I mean like when you have a thought that I don't know you're going to drop the baby or you're going to fall down the stairs or something else bad is going to happen like the house is going to burn down all these kind of weird weird and horrible things that might pop into our mind and I feel like I had some of that and I was anxious just generally I'm not sure whether I would call it postnatal anxiety. It depends how you define that. But definitely I felt anxious and I didn't feel myself. And it was actually when we got into more of a routine when he was kind of six to eight weeks and I was getting more sleep and I started sharing the nights with Dan, my husband. He would do like a 3 a.m. feed. I found that that anxiety lifted for me personally. I just wanted to give that as an example of how impactful sleep can be. 
and we all have different sleep requirements. I am what I would call high sleep needs person. I need a lot of sleep to feel okay. Some people are fine on four to five hours sleep, six, seven hours sleep. It's a bit of a myth that everyone needs eight hours sleep because lots of people don't. Lots of people do. And some people need more. And I would say my ideal is around nine hours. But realistically, having a busy life and children, I don't often get nine hours. It's more like eight, sometimes slightly less. But my point is that when we sleep well, mostly it can really help our mental health. And we know that people, for example, with ADHD, if they're sleep deprived, it can make symptoms worse. But then, I mean, this is a whole other kettle of fish because if you have ADHD, it can be hard to fall asleep and stay asleep. That's another episode. But certainly for everyone, sleep is beneficial. And I can't stress this enough. Sleep is not a luxury. It is a basic need. We need sleep. We really need it. And I think in our culture, there has been, maybe the tide is turning a little bit, but there has been in the past kind of a work hard, play hard you know, badge of honour that I've got up at five o'clock in the morning to do some 5am routine and sacrifice my sleep to do that. And this five, oh, it's 5am club. That's what people call it. And for some people, do you know what, if you're an early bird and that's your chronotype. So chronotype is what we mean by you have a biological preference to get up early or stay up late, or you might just be somewhere in the middle. Lots of people are, but if you're not an early bird, then getting up at five o'clock in the morning probably isn't a good idea. It would be an absolute disaster for me. I would just feel dreadful. So it's about doing what works for us. And we all have our own individual needs and working with that and getting away from this idea that being able to run on very little sleep is a badge of honour because it's not. There's nothing big or clever about it. But I do think that most parents don't wear that badge of honour. I think most parents I've met who are not sleeping well want to sleep better. <laughs> it's kind of a given, right? You wouldn't speak to someone and say, oh yeah, I'm really proud that like my child's woken me up really early when I'm not an early bird. And actually I would say one of the hardest things that hit me when I became a parent was having to be forced to get up early in the morning. And by early, I'm not always talking that early in the scheme of things, but for me... I don't want to be up at half six, seven, but realistically for lots of small children, that is quite a good time for them to wake up and quite a normal time. And sometimes obviously little ones do wake us up even earlier than that. And that's where I can help. But I think being forced into the early bird box was really bloody difficult for me. I found it so hard. So if we know that we're going to be woken up early, we need to make the most of the opportunity that we do have to sleep and think about ways we can optimise sleep and remember why we are doing this. We know, as I've said, that sleep affects every single function of the body. But like I said, I think you're probably already sold on the idea that you want more sleep and need more sleep. So sometimes it's not always that helpful for professionals to say, you need to optimise your sleep. You need to get the most sleep you can get. You already know that and you already want to do that. And I was actually talking to somebody the other day about how in the fitness world, there's a lot of talk about how beneficial sleep is. And we know this, but for families, parents who are trying to get back to sleep and back to fitness, it's not the best message because actually I would say movement is helpful and movement will actually help your sleep, your sleep. 
it's not going to help you if you're being woken up by somebody else. Um, and I don't want people to feel like they can't exercise because you can, but you want to do gentle exercise. You don't want to be training for a bodybuilding competition while you're sleep deprived or training for a triathlon while you're sleep deprived. You really need that sleep to restore and help your body. But you can exercise, take nice relaxing walks, yoga. You can do things like weights, but I would just, you know, keep it down a notch if you're tired and then work on your little one's sleep. And then know when you get to that point, that's where you can go for it. So we all have different sleep needs and I've said that to you and I think we need to have a think about our little ones and work out how much they need and know that if they are a baby or a toddler or a child who doesn't sleep as much as your friends or family's baby child or toddler, please don't beat yourself up because they don't all nap for two hours. They don't all go to bed at seven. Some of them do and that's great, but we need to find what works for our children and that is why you're doing this you need to work out something that works for you and your family if you're doing something and it works for you and your baby and your family there is nothing wrong with carrying on as you are I always say to people do you know what even if you do absolutely nothing with your little one's sleep there will come a day where you have a teenager who doesn't want to get out of bed And there will come a day when they don't want to share your bed anymore. There will come a day when it is all different. There will come a day when they are doing their own thing and you can do your own thing and they're not going to be so reliant on you. And I want you to know that every stage of babyhood, toddlerhood, childhood, teenage years is a season. I think actually our whole lives are a season. We go through ups and downs, challenges, smoother times, joyful times, hard times, And we can just do the best that we can in the moments and with the tools that we have at the time. And our best is good enough because there isn't perfect. Perfect doesn't exist. But that doesn't mean that we can't make changes to sleep. It's important to talk about privilege. Now, when I talk about privilege, I'm talking about people who have the privilege to just ride out sleep challenges. There are some social media sites and pages that are more gentle parenting end of the spectrum. But actually, I quite like gentle parenting. And I would say a lot of our solutions are in line with that. But some of the more extreme, I guess extremes just aren't really good one way or the other when people are super extreme. But more of the extreme messages out there are very much ride it out, co-sleep, breastfeed into toddlerhood, wear them as long as you can, like in a sling, whatever. Number one, I couldn't wear my toddlers because I have pelvis issues. So I'd be in agony and hurt myself. So we always have to remember that not everyone has the privilege to do these things. Even bed sharing and co-sleeping were not for me for many reasons. One, because I'm a really light sleeper, but also because, again, because of my issues with my pelvis and my hypermobility if I'm in really awkward positions so I did bed share with B when he was a newborn and then we got him into his crib when he was kind of six to eight weeks old and that time that we bed shared I was following safer sleep guidance from the lullaby trust but I found myself in really uncomfortable positions because obviously you're aware there's a baby in the bed and you want to sleep safely I found my hips were in absolute agony and you have to remember that not everyone has a normal body and can sleep comfortably in a bed with their baby. Some people can. 
some people go back to work quite soon and they don't have the privilege to rise it out and think, do you know what? We're just going to do all of these things and I'm a stay-at-home parent and I don't need to worry about being sleep deprived. Obviously, being a stay-at-home parent is bloody exhausting, really challenging. Hats off to anyone who's doing it. And you need sleep to do that as well. But let's say, just for example, I've helped loads of doctors. I've helped a surgeon before. This surgeon could not go back to work being woken up six times a night and operate on somebody and risk their life. That's an extreme, but it is a privilege to be somebody who doesn't have to worry about the sleep challenges in the same way someone else might who's going back to work or who has mental health issues or other health issues which are really affected by sleep. I know that some people with other challenges where they might have, I mean, there's lots of complex parts of the human condition where sleep really affects it. It's not good enough just to say you can ride it out or looking at some of these really gentle solutions, which I'm, you know, wholeheartedly support, like trying to bed share and then gradually move away from it. That's kind of more style, my style, actually, finding solutions where you can move away from things gradually. And those can be gentle solutions. But if the solution simply is like a floor bed, that's not good enough for me and for lots of people. And that is okay. And if you're this person who has extra challenges, don't feel bad. But also, more importantly, you might not have any extra challenges. You might be somebody who doesn't need to go back to work, who doesn't have to financially, doesn't want to um, emotionally and intellectually, you're quite happy doing what you're doing and you love being a stay-at-home parent for now or forever. You might be in perfect health. You might not have any issues, like I said, and you still want your baby to sleep well because you believe that that is the best thing for you, your baby and your family. And I would wholeheartedly be behind you, patting you on the back and saying, well done that you've made that decision because a lot of people can't and it's very difficult and it could be quite a complex decision to make to work on sleep. But you should be proud of yourself that you've made that decision. I truly believe that better sleep can only better your life and have a really positive impact. When we're thinking about making sleep change, all families are different, all parents are different, all babies are different. And some people might see one thing about sleep as a problem and some people might not. So working out what your challenge is and what you'd like to change is key to this. And this is where I've spoken about it before on the pod, but journaling, I love it. So writing down, there's something about writing things down by hand. If you don't want to, you don't have to. Maybe just have a think about it. If you're walking, you're pounding the pavements with your buggy. Have a think about what is it that you would like to achieve? What's troubling you at the moment? What's getting in the way? And how do you think you could approach it? And do you need to reach out for help? Because if you do, we are here. But you might already have reached out to us. You might be following one of our online courses or be working with one of my amazing team. But have a think about what it is that you want to solve and how you can go about doing that. And that is where the online courses or the one-to-one support will support you with that. But let's have a think about that. And it might be, let's just talk about for an example, it might be that you really are like, I want to rip the plaster off. I want to sort this out. Enough's enough. I want my baby to sleep for a good eight to 10 hours or eight to 12 hours, let's say, because 
I mean, when we talk about sleeping through the night, there really is no clinical definition of sleeping through the night. And that can cause a lot of confusion for parents. So sleeping through the night, I always say it's kind of eight hours plus between eight and 12 hours without parental intervention. So without a feed, essentially. But do you know what? You can just interpret it however you want. (laughs) There's no right or wrong. You can say my baby slept through the night. There's no sleep through the night police who are going to <laughs> who are going to check what you mean and what you say. But just bear in mind that when you're talking to other people, take what they say with a pinch of salt because they might mean something different to what you mean. Let's say you're a parent who has decided, right, I've had enough. I think my seven month old is capable of doing a long stretch of sleep and we want to get the best night's sleep we can. You've decided this, you've set aside some time, you've worked through an online course, we've spoken to my team and you've looked at their routine. You know that's pretty solid. You've looked at their sleep environment, so you know everything's set up to be conducive to a good night's sleep, like temperature, bedding, white noise if you're using it, comforters, whatever else it is that you are using and you know how to use them all safely. Then you look at how they settle and this really is one of the reasons I wanted to do this podcast because I think it's important to give you some support and give you some coaching on how to go through this change because it can be really hard for lots of people. Some people might not see feeling to sleep, rocking to sleep, bouncing to sleep, walking to sleep, driving to sleep as a problem, but other people do. Some babies might not find it a problem. So some babies might be fed to sleep and sleep all night or you have a really quite a settled night's sleep or maybe you're up once and it's not really an issue in which case don't worry <laughs> just skip to the next topic on later in the podcast but if it is then you can change it let's have a think about the alternative if you don't do this and you don't follow through you've got a few options one you just leave it a bit longer you might even start and think this isn't working for us right now should we leave it a few weeks and revisit You might decide to do nothing, in which case, like I said, they will sleep eventually one day, but it's hard to know when. We can't really predict that, but you can keep revisiting or you can switch up what you're doing. So you might start and find your baby isn't responding very well or not how you'd expect. and You're not comfortable with it, in which case you can switch it up. So you might be doing quick checks and you might switch to some kind of in-room settling. If you don't know, these are terms that I use to describe our settling methods that you'll find in our online courses and our one-to-one support. There's also habit layering, so layering in new habits to help phase out old ones. And there's everything in between. The alternative to working on sleep is not working on sleep. And it could be that that means sleep deprivation. It could mean that your health suffers. It could mean that your social life suffers. It could mean that your health and fitness suffers, but it might not because we're all different. But I just want to point that out. And it's like, what do we do? Do we have anything to lose? If you're having a fairly settled night, you might not want to change that. You might want to not want to rock the boat. But if you're in a really dire situation and things are feeling really hard, Honestly, what do you have to lose by trying this? You can always change your mind. You can change the approach. But I think that it's important to try it and give it a good shot before you decide it's not for you. If you have a partner, working as a team can really help. So getting your partner on board, understanding what you're doing, why you're doing it, what your approach is. What do you do if X happens? 
And what do you do if why happens? So you're prepared. So you're not having a heated conversation at three o'clock in the morning saying, what on earth are we going to do with this baby? Being consistent, deciding we've we've decided we're going to do this. So we're going to give it a really good shot. I think a lot of parents have a fear of failure and that holds us back because we think we, we can't possibly do this. It's too hard. It's not going to work. And then we will have failed. But I honestly think you don't have anything to lose. If it doesn't work for you, that's all right. You've not lost anything. You've tried and you might decide to revisit it or tweak how you're doing things and slightly change it. But if we have the basics right, then there are small tweaks we can make. Like I said, routine changes can sometimes be enough. So maybe a later bedtime, a shorter nap, a nap at a different time. Maybe rejigging your bedtime routine, maybe with a toddler, for example, focusing on some really good connection time, some bedtime charts, talking about having a special toy, role playing with teddies and a toy box, these kind of things. They can be game changers, you know, don't underestimate the small changes. And while how they settle can be the absolute pivotal change it's not always it's not always that it can be something else and we do need to bear in mind that there are sometimes other challenges which can affect sleep like physical discomfort like eczema reflux allergies bodily tension sometimes it's worth looking into those things before we do any kind of sleep work just to make sure that our little ones have the best chance of making the best change as quickly as possible and sleep the best that they can So please don't be afraid of failing because you can't fail. There's no right or wrong when it comes to sleep. Whatever anyone says, I'm sorry, sleep is not a moral issue. You can't take the moral high ground because you sleep trained or because you didn't sleep train. You're no better than anyone else. You don't know more about parenting than someone else because their parenting journey is individual to them. So when people get on their high horse and talk about what's right and what's wrong and make really angry posts on social media, I just think it's so unfair. Why are you setting people up to fail? Because you're telling them to do what worked for you, not what works for them. Having said that, we do know that there are particular things that work for lots of babies. I've helped thousands of families since I've been doing this. I've been doing this 10 years now and I know the things that tend to work and the kind of routes that we want to go down to make change. And I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Change can be really hard because we're changing how we do things. If we don't change anything, then nothing changes. But for human beings, we don't like change. Babies don't like it. Adults don't like it. We like just doing what feels like the path of least resistance, which sometimes can be the right path for us. But a lot of the times it's not. I think reminding yourself in the moment when you're working on this, that your future self will be really grateful that you've put the work in and you've decided to make some change. And I want you to know that a few nights of your baby being upset, which sometimes it literally can be a few nights, will not change the fact that you're an amazing parent. It won't change that. The very fact that you're listening to this episode on a parenting podcast tells me that you care a great deal. The fact that you've invested in sleep support, whether that's an online course, one-to-one call, free resources, or you're just Googling sleep at three o'clock in the morning, 
that tells me you're an amazing parent and your little one is very securely attached to you. Attachment is built by thousands of tiny interactions every day and attachment is not broken by changing the boundaries of how your little one falls asleep. They're not a well-attached, happy, well-rounded, amazing child in the day and suddenly traumatised at bedtime. It doesn't work like that. So you really, really have nothing to lose other than some upset, which you can manage. Try and give it your all for a few days before you decide to change your plan. Because sometimes we can try things once and feel like it's not working. We need to be patient. Sleep is a biological function, but habits are things that we can affect. Your little one knows how to sleep. We all know how to sleep. It's just innately in us. We sleep in the womb. But what we are teaching them on helping support them with is to fall asleep with less and less parental intervention because we don't really, most of us, want to be supporting them to sleep and back to sleep between every sleep cycle at night. So we cycle between light and deep sleep throughout the night. And in between these sleep cycles, the body's doing what I call safety checks and checking, has my environment changed? Do I need something back that was there when I fell asleep that's no longer there? Because if it's not there, I don't feel safe and I need that back. So that's why often our little ones will wake and need that support again. And if you are happy to fulfill that support and be there to do whatever it was you were doing at the beginning of the night, that's absolutely fine. But if that's not for you, then we need to change that response, however gradually you do that. I'd also say, look at the age of your baby and think about what is achievable. I think there's a lot of information out there which is really unfair and downright dangerous. Um, somebody told me about a in inverted commas, sleep consultant, who told them to leave their six-week-old crying for intervals. Now, controlled crying or a version of it, whatever you want to call it, it's got loads of names, is a legitimate and often really successful way of sleep training your baby. It's not for everyone, but for some people it's great. It's not for newborns. Honestly, it's not for newborns. Your six-week-old baby, honestly, I cannot imagine. Please don't do that. You can do what I would call practicing settling. So you put them down, see how they react. If they're upset, obviously you pick them up or feed them or wind them. There's so many things that can be going on with newborns and they can be such a puzzle. So I'm with you if you're struggling, it will get better. We do have our naught to five months online course that might help. And we do now do phone calls for newborns, but we need to be realistic about what we can achieve with smaller babies. And this is what I was saying. So you look at the age of your child. It's not realistic to have a six week old that's not going to feed in the night. Although you do get unicorn babies who don't. And once they've reached their birth weight and they're otherwise happy and healthy, they can sleep at night. So you can leave them, you don't have to wake them up. But realistically, most small babies are going to be waking for feeds, changes, all these other things. So be realistic about what you can achieve. Obviously, we all want better sleep, but it's likely you're going to be up at least once or maybe a few times in the night while they're tidgy, I say. And then think about maybe if your baby's over four months, you might kind of three to four months, you might be able to get away with one feed or one settle. Maybe not, it might be more. And then when you get to six months, I really think most, hopefully you could get away with maybe just one feed, but 
this is honestly like I'm really making a massive generalization. It's just to give you an idea of how you might think about it. And then I would say older toddlers and children, like honestly, they are capable of sleeping really, really solidly. And even a lot of babies are, even from six months old, my eldest was sleeping seven till seven, but not all babies will sleep for 12 hours. It might be less than that. So bear that in mind as well. Think about what's achievable and what you want. And like I said, write it down, have a think about it. But often older children or toddlers, the change can take a bit longer. And it might be that you're introducing new strategies, like I said, like role play or focusing on connection time. You might be thinking about sensory input at bedtime. By that, I mean some little ones really like physical contact and sensory contact. So, for example, you could do a game of row, row, row your boat, not game, sing the song, have your feet together and hands together and you're rocking. And that rocking can really help them regulate their sensory needs. So like the physical movement of them rocking can be really soothing and help them calm before bed, even though it feels like quite an active thing. You can do baby massage or toddler massage. You can have really close cuddles. There's all these kind of things and we might be looking at reducing a nap, dropping a nap, looking at what time they go to bed, the order in which they do things before they go to bed, preferences that are really quite individual. But if you've decided to make a change, it can take a long time. I really wish I could wave a magic wand and just say, this is all going to solve itself in two to three nights. But we have to be realistic and Often it can take a lot longer and that's why we need to be patient. But you're still moving forward. You're focusing on making small changes to move forward in your journey. And if you think about it, regardless of what you do, time is going to pass. Every day will pass. You know, we get up, we go to bed, have a crap night, but the, the, <laughs> the nights are passing anyway. So we may as well be trying things because what have you got to lose? And you may as well just have your life passing and trying to enjoy that and be the best person that you can with the time that we have. But while you're living your life, you're making changes because why not? Why not do it? What is it that's holding you back? I think that is the nitty gritty of it. And it might be fear of crying, which is totally legitimate. Nobody wants their baby to cry. It is horrible. You know, it goes through you, but it's working out are they crying because I'm changing a boundary and they're actually quite tired and they're just telling me they're annoyed or are they actually distressed? Do we need to intervene or can we take a step back? It depends what's going on. I really want you to know that sleep training is safe and effective and on the whole, I really do think it sets them up for a lifetime of good sleep. We know from research that babies who are sleep trained tend to sleep better and longer than babies who are not. And that was a fairly recent piece of research. We know from the research that we do have, which I'm going to admit is limited, that there's no correlation between sleep training and negative outcomes like depression, damage to bonding or anything like that. And that's really good news for parents who might be concerned about attachment and connection. Babies who can be comfortable falling asleep on their own before they reach stages of separation anxiety 
I kind of think it peaks sort of normally between eight and 12 months. And I do think it's really individual and there's lots going on at different points in our baby's lives. The development's always happening. There's always developmental changes happening. But if you can get them to sleep independently before then, that can also really, really help with that stage. So it's worth also bearing in mind the kind of the long game and different stages you're going to be navigating and think about illness as well. If they sleep really well, they're less likely to be impacted by blips in the road if they're ill because they know how to get themselves back to sleep. They're less likely to be affected by teething in the night as well. A lot of people worry about teething pain. Please know that generally teething should only affect sleep for around three to five days as the tooth emerges. If it's longer than that, it's normally something else going on that's affecting sleep rather than teeth. We can often underestimate the positive impact that sleep training can have for parents as well as our babies. It can help us feel less stressed, less anxious, less exhausted. It can give us a plan and sometimes just having an action plan can be so helpful. Feeling more control in a situation that feels uncontrollable can really help. And we know that babies who sleep well are less fussy and they're going to learn much easier. Like if we're talking about toddlers as well, that are going to nursery, having regular wake up times and regular bedtimes and regular nap times, it's going to be really helpful when they transition into nursery and you're settling them in. And not only that, you can speak to the childcare provider and say, okay, this is what time they nap. This is what they do then. And it will fit most childcare settings because, well, the routines certainly that I advise do fit really well with those. It's really important to know that sleep training is very individual. The decision whether you do it or not, the decision how you do it and how you tweak it and how your baby responds is really important. There really isn't a one size fits all. There are general trends, which I recognise and notice, but the decision whether you sleep train, when you sleep train has to be made by you. And we need to look at it holistically. So we need to look at everything about your child, whether that's their temperament, i.e. their personality. Are they sensitive? Are they laid back? Are they somewhere in between? Checking everything's optimised in their sleep environment. Is feeding going okay? Is there something going on there? How old are they? What are your goals? What are your challenges? What are your beliefs around how you might sleep train? What kind of approach do you think would suit you and your family? I did a poll on my Instagram and I think it was only 9% of people who answered that poll said that sleep training hadn't worked for them. And I would say the reasons why it might not work are if it's the wrong timing, the wrong approach for your baby or the parents or the baby aren't ready. So those things are really important to get right in order to make sure that it works. But if you do it in a developmentally appropriate way, it can really, really help. And I told you, I have helped thousands of families and I really think that I want people to know that it is legitimate, it is helpful and I want to drown out all the noise that's out there about sleep training and about the dangers and this, that and the other because as far as I can see, I don't see any negatives to it other than maybe somebody's tried it and they found it upsetting and it's not worked for them but you can just revisit it and if you don't try you don't know so I hope that has been really helpful to understand a bit more about your thinking around sleep training and 
essentially just supporting you. I want you to know you're not on your own. So many people are going through the same problems as you and it can feel so lonely when you're the only one in the middle of the night and you look out the window and you think no one else's lights are on, but you're not on your own. I wouldn't have the business I have if this was really easy. I wouldn't have the social media following I have if people didn't need support with this. So you're not on your own. This episode is brought to you by Just Chill Baby Sleep, their number one infant sleep consultancy in the UK and beyond. We really love sleep and we want you to have all the information that you need about sleep at your fingertips. Our award-winning self-led online courses can banish those bad nights and leave you feeling calm and in control and most of all, well rested. For more information about our online courses and one-to-one support, please go to justchillbabysleep.co.uk. Listeners can also use the code JCPP for 10% off any online course or bundle. So sleep well. Right. I also wanted to talk about the full moon. You might think, what on earth is she talking about? But I'm often asked, does the full moon affect sleep? So I've done a bit of research for you. People have speculated about the moon's impact on sleep for forever. (laughs) There's old texts and books and reports of the moon affecting sleep going back years. So the moon obviously goes through phases, if you don't know, and sometimes it's full in the month and then it will be reduced to just a faint crescent weeks later. So that's when it's like, what would you call it? Like a slice? (laughs) it kind of changes every night. So if you follow the moon, you will know that we'll get a full moon every month. The moon doesn't actually produce its own light, but it's illuminated by the sun. This is something I learned. I didn't know that. I mean, it makes sense. In fact, (laughs) depending where the sun, the moon and the earth are in relation to each other, different amounts of that sunlight are visible from earth. So this is kind of how it works, basically. So we begin with the full moon and then it gradually shrinks each night until it becomes completely invisible, which is called a new moon. At that point, the moon slowly fills back in until the disc is complete again. It takes 29 and a half days for the moon to cycle through this process completely. So what I wanted to talk about more than go into the science of it, because I'm not a scientist and yeah, you don't need to know that part, but you can always look it up if you're interested in learning about the moon. We know that there's a lunar impact on other biological things in the natural world, like spawning in the Great Barrier Reef, monkeys at night and other wildlife, um, certain trees and things. But does it affect human beings at night? There have been some sleep studies and there was one that said that the full moon was associated with worse sleep But I'm not sure how reliable it was because when we're looking at this research, a lot of it's like self-reported. And this study said it took participants five minutes longer to fall asleep and they slept for 20 minutes less. But I mean, five minutes difference isn't that much. Like, I don't think it's like a groundbreaking study. There was another study that said that total sleep time during a full moon was reduced by 25 minutes while arousals and awakenings increased. That feels more 
impactful. 25 minutes actually makes a bit of a difference. And if you were waking up and stirring a lot more, you wouldn't have had so much deep sleep in theory. So maybe it could be worse. One thing I think can impact sleep with a full moon is the light. A full moon, it can be quite bright. So you could have that if you don't have blackout curtains, it could be affecting sleep for sure. So that's something to bear in mind. And really, I mean, from my point of view, I'm more interested in does it affect children? So it really isn't well researched at all. And there's really limited data. And there was one study that actually found children slept more during a full moon. So God knows, it's really confusing, to be honest. But it could be that that extra sleep was to do with something else. It could have been daytime activity or it could be anything. It's just it's just really not very, very reliable. And there's people who've been trying to look for a relationship between the lunar cycle sleep and physical activity for a long, long time. Interestingly, people have spoken about mental health and the moon and This I really liked when I found this out. The word lunacy is derived from the word Luna, which is the Roman moon goddess. And lunacy kind of comes from that. It's really interesting. So is it that for some reason the moon is associated with people having mental health issues? Also, obviously, there are hormonal changes which kind of follow a monthly pattern, obviously the menstrual cycle. And lots of people do believe that the moon affects the menstrual cycle. I'm not sure, again, if there's any evidence behind it. There wasn't anything I could find. But it feels like if you track, I mean, you could track your period. I track mine on an app on my phone. But whether the menstruation and moon phases are correlated, I don't know. You could have a look yourself, but it might be interesting I don't think there is any specific quality research on this. And maybe we should have more because, you know, why not? The main thing to take away from everything that I've been reading is that while I guess anything's possible, the moon might affect sleep. I think the research that we have is only just really sketchy. And there's loads that we don't understand about this topic. But what we do know is there's lots of things that do help sleep that are evidence-based like sleep hygiene having a great sleep routine temperature sleep environment how we get to sleep how we get back to sleep our routines in the day our nutrition if we're talking about adults like limiting caffeine limiting screen time and all these great things that we can do for our sleep so I think in conclusion (laughs) I don't think the moon has an effect personally. If you do and you have a strong feeling about this or you'd like to talk about it more, then do send me your thoughts. I'd love to hear from you. I hope that you have really enjoyed this episode as much as I've enjoyed creating it. Please remember to review, rate and subscribe to the podcast. It means the world to have you listening. I'll be back soon with more parenting problems, rants and sleep information. Sleep well. Sleep well.